you know, sometimes you, you're wondering what uh, what things are about, you know, uh, like Cheers is uh, clearly about a group of alcoholics who are uh, so abusive and terrible at home, but really nice at the bar. They can only bond and be friends with people at the bar and they have no home lives. And it's clearly about uh, alcoholism in the, in the great Northeast. And then uh, there's things that you don't you don't even think they're about anything, and then you read something very jarring. Uh, I typed in Megilla Gorilla the other day on the internet, and the internet's like, "You want to know what Megilla Gorilla's about, guy?" I'm thinking to myself, "No, I don't. Not if it's about something fucked up, you know. I I want to keep watching Megilla Gorilla." And the internet's like, "I don't care, Megilla Gorilla." Is about the civil rights movement and the Jim Crow South and Mr. Peebles' society. And, Ma- and McGilla Gorilla's an oppressed black man. It's like, what the fuck? Maybe it is about that, but gee willikers, do I need to do I need to know that? Welcome to the What Are Poems podcast, the only poetry podcast not seeped in pretension, the only poetry podcast. Hosted by a man with an affinity for Megillah Gorilla. Even though they all should, because that's a pretty good rhyme. What were those guys uh, doing? Sitting around going, hey, it's a gorilla. He wears a little hat. What should his name be? People are like, Bob. Uh, how about Clarence? And someone's like, yeah, let's name him fucking, uh, let's name him Megillah. How about Megillah? You know, one guy's like, Megillah's not a name. Well, you know, fuck him. Today, for all my lesbian listeners, Adrian Rich. We'll get right into it. Adrian Rich was an American poet, essayist, and feminist. She was called one of the most widely read and influential poets of the second half of the 20th century and was credited with bringing the oppression of women and lesbians to the forefront of poetic discourse. Rich criticized rigid forms of feminist identities and valorized what she coined as the lesbian continuum which is a female continuum of solidarity and creativity that impacts and fills women's lives. The lesbian continuum, it sounds like a a spinoff of Stargate SG-1. Her first collection of poetry, A Change of World, was selected by renowned poet W.H. Auden for the Yale Series of Younger Poets Award. Auden went on to write the introduction to the published volume, but Rich famously declaimed the National Medal of Arts, protesting the vote by House Speaker Newt Gingrich to end the funding for the National Endowment of the Arts. She's a bit of a rebel. You'll see this throughout. Uh, the government keeps saying, hey, give Adrian Rich an award. And she's like, no, nah, screw the government. I don't want it. She was born in Baltimore, Maryland, and was the elder of two sisters. Adrian Rich's early poetic influence stemmed from her father, who encouraged her to read, but also to write her own poetry. Her interest in literature was sparked within her father's library, where she read the work of writers such as Ibsen, Arnold, Blake, Keats, Dante, Gabriel Rossetti, and Tennyson. <clears throat> her father was ambitious for Adrian, and wait. Her father had great ambitions for Adrian and planned to create a prodigy, which is never good. That's insane. Uh, if, you're, if your father's uh, sitting there trying to make you a prodigy, get out, folks. I'm going to tell you right now because you're going you're gonna to end up messed up. You're going to end up on a bridge uh, holding a violin case, crying. You might be uh, have bouts of public masturbation uh, while reciting Adrian Rich's poetry. You know, Do not let your parents make you a prodigy. 
if any children listen to this. Adrian Rich and her younger sister were homeschooled by their mother until Adrian began public education in the fourth grade. The poems, Sources, and After Dark document her relationship with her father, describing how she worked hard to fulfill her parents' ambitions for her, like a young boy at T-ball whose father never made the pros and keeps saying, Swing harder at the T, kid! Uh, and it moved into a world in which she was expected to excel. Later years, Rich went on... I'm sorry, I had some... Uh, Pasta, four cheese, progressive tortellini soup, and it's repeating on me. Rich went to Roland Park County School, which he described as a good old-fashioned girl school. And it gave us fine role models of single women who were intellectually impassioned. After graduating from high school, Rich earned her college diploma at Radcliffe College, where she focused primarily on poetry and learning writing craft, encountering no women teachers at all. In 1953, Rich married Alfred Haskell, Conrad, an economics professor at Harvard University she met as an undergraduate. She said of the match, I married in part because I knew no better way to disconnect from my first family. I wanted what I saw as a full woman's life, whatever was possible. They settled in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts. This is weird because uh, if you remember in the previous episode, E.E. E. Cummings was also from Cambridge, Massachusetts, and his mother's maiden name was Haskell. So I wonder if there's a relation between Rich and Cummings. Hmm. They end up having three sons. And in 1955, she publishes her second volume, The Diamond Cutters, a collection she said she wished had not been published. That year, she also received the Ridgely Torrance Memorial Award from the Poetry Society of America. Her three children were born in 1955, 1957, and 1959. It's weird that there's all these little, like, I think if you write a poem, they'll give you an award. Like, even me or you. Like, if I put, if I put some of these weird poems I wrote out there, I might get the Ridgely Torrance uh, Memorial Award. I don't think it's a big one. I think they just give it out. The 1960s began a period of change in Rich's life. She, re she received the National Institute of Arts and Letters Awards, say, her second Guggenheim Fellowship to work at the Netherlands Economic Institute. Moving her family to New York in 1966, Rich became involved with the New Left and became heavily involved in anti-war, civil rights, and feminist activism. Her husband took a teaching position at City College in New York. And in 1968, she signed the Writers' and Editors' War Tax Protest Pledge, vowing to refuse tax payments and protest against the Vietnam War. Her collections from this period include Necessities of Life, Leaflets, and The Will to Change, which reflect increasingly radical political content and interest in poetic forms. So she's switching it all up now. She's becoming a, she goes from being like uh, this, uh, this housewife in Cambridge, Massachusetts, going to New York, living that bohemian life, you know, college professor husband, against the war in Vietnam. So in 1976, Rich became, began her partnership with uh, Jamaican-born novelist and editor Michelle Cliff. So... In the meantime, somewhere in the 60s, 70s, she says, all right, I'll see you later, economics professor husband. I'm going to start dating this Jamaican lady. And uh, their their love lasts until uh, till, uh, Michelle Cliff's death. In her controversial work of women born, motherhood as experienced an institution published the same year, Rich acknowledged that for her, lesbianism was a political as well as personal issue, writing, the suppressed lesbian I had been carrying in me since adolescent began to stretch her limbs. The pamphlet, 21 Love Poems, which was incorporated into the following year's Dream of Common Language, marked the first direct treatment of lesbian desire and sexuality in her writing. Themes was run throughout her work afterwards, especially in A Wild Patience Has Taken Me This Far, and some of her late poems in, in The Fact of the Doorframe. In 1997, Rich declined the National Medal of Arts in protesting against the House of Representatives' vote to end the National Endowment of the Arts, as well as the policies of the Clinton administration regarding the arts generally and literature in particular, stating that, and I like this, 
I could not accept such an award from President Clinton or the White House because the very meaning of art, as I understand it, is compatible is not compatible with the cynical politics of this administration. Art means nothing if it simply decorates the dinner table of the power which holds us hostage. I love that. Art means nothing if simply if it simply decorates the dinner table of the power which holds us hostage. Art means nothing if it simply decorates the dinner table of the power which holds us hostage. I got a lot of thoughts on that. I think that's good stuff. In the early 2000s, Rich participated in, in more anti-war activities, protesting against the threat of the war in Iraq, both through the readings for poetry and other activities. In 2002, she was appointed a chancellor of the newly augmented board of the Academy of American Poets. Women have often felt insane when cleaving to the truth of our experience. Our future depends on the sanity of each of us, and we have a profound stake beyond the personal in the project of describing our reality as candidly and fully as we can teach each other. I think she's a pretty good freaking role model. I think she's pretty much saying the truth here. Uh, given the feminist conditions of the 1950s and 1970s era, it can be said that Rich's work on feminism was revolutionary. Her views on equality and the need for women to maximize their potential can be seen as progressive during her time. Her views strongly coincide with the feminist way of thinking during that time period. According to Rich, society as a whole is found on patriarchy and limits the rights of women for equality to be achieved between the sexes. The prevailing notions will have to be readjusted to fit the female perspective. And I think that's what she's getting at there. Gotta look through the woman's eyes. Uh, so without further ado, here's Adrian Rich's poem, Diving into the Wreck, read by Adrian Rich herself. So this is called Diving into the Wreck. First, having read the book of myths and loaded the camera and checked the edge of the knife blade, I put on the body armor of black rubber, the absurd flippers, the grave and awkward mask. I'm having to do this not like Cousteau with his assiduous team aboard the sun-flooded schooner, but here alone. There is a ladder. The ladder is always there, hanging innocently close to the side of the schooner. We know what it is for, we who have used it. Otherwise, it is a piece of maritime floss, some sundry equipment. I go down, rung after rung, and still the oxygen immerses me, the blue light, the clear atoms of our human air. I go down. My flippers cripple me. I crawl like an insect down the ladder, and there is no one to tell me where the ocean will begin. First the air is blue, and then it is bluer, and then green, and then black. I am blacking out, and yet my mask is powerful. It pumps my blood with power. The sea is another story. The sea is not a question of power. I have to learn alone to turn my body without force in the deep element. And now it is easy to forget what I came for among so many who have always lived here, swaying their crenellated fans between the reefs. And besides, you breathe differently down here. I came to explore the wreck. The words are purposes, the words are maps. I came to see the damage that was done and the treasures that prevail. 
I stroke the beam of my lamp slowly along the flank of something more permanent than fish or weed, the thing I came for, the wreck and not the story of the wreck, the thing itself and not the myth, the drowned face always staring towards the sun, the evidence of damage worn by salt and sway into this threadbare beauty, the ribs of the disaster curving their assertion among the tentative haunters. This is the place, and I am here, the mermaid whose dark hair streams black, the merman in his armored body. We circle silently about the wreck. We dive into the hold. I am she, I am he, whose drowned face sleeps with open eyes, whose breasts still bear the stress, whose silver, copper, vermeil cargo lies obscurely inside barrels half wedged and left to rot. We are the half-destroyed instruments that once held to a course the water-eaten log, the fouled compass. We are, I am, you are, by cowardice or courage, the one who find our way back to the scene, carrying a knife, a camera, a book of myths, in which our names do not appear. That was Adrian Rich's poem, Diving Into the Wreck. I liked it. It was pretty good. She's not one of those rhymers. You know, I don't care for the rhymers, except for Seuss. We should do Dr. Seuss episode. Uh, when we come back, my own poem, Breakfast, which actually kind of started this whole thing out. Okay, when we return. Folks, uh, here's the poem that I wrote on Facebook that started the entire uh, What Are Poems podcast uh, 13, 13, 14, 15 weeks ago. Uh, this is called Breakfast. Breakfast is the best thing to get with friends, to eat with friends, to call your buddy up and say, let's get breakfast. Or, I'm thinking breakfast, you in. You get eggs, maybe over, something a piece of meat, a bit of toast, that yellow yolk bursting, a sign of life. Bright yellow, like orange juice. You get an orange juice. Maybe it's in a cardboard cup, and you pierce it with a red and white straw. And it hits different at breakfast with your friends. A friend breakfast. Can't anymore. No greasy spoon diners have outdoor seating. Can't get breakfast unless it's brunch and it's outside and it's too much. No breakfast with friends as pans clamor in chorus. Pandemic killed breakfast. Sad shit. That's my poem, Breakfast, that sent me down on the odyssey that is to discover what poetry is and tell you each week about the life and times of a different poet. Until next time, folks, stay strong in that lesbian continuum, and peace and love, peace and love. Beef Jackie.